this gentleman came through the door. Long story short, he gave his uh, two business cards to my friend who was talking with him. And he said, hey, this guy's in real estate, you know, and I know you want to do that. So I had his card and I held on to his card for two months. It's no secret that real estate is one of the best investment vehicles out there. But how can we determine which strategies will best align with our financial ambitions? Well, you come to the right spot. Whether you're an active real estate entrepreneur, a passive investor, or looking to get into real estate investing, our goal is to provide investors with insights and strategies for building our portfolios all while protecting our capital. I'm Daniel Nichols, and this is the Two Smart Assets Real Estate Investing Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Daniel Nichols, accompanied by our guest for the week, Caleb Johnson. And today we are the two smart assets. For those not familiar with Caleb, he is multi he's a multifamily syndicator focused on B and C class apartment buildings and is also founder of Red Sea Capital, where they hold GP positions in five assets across three states. Caleb, my man, it's great to see you. Welcome to the show. Daniel, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited yeah. to be here and it's, uh, it's a privilege. Yeah, man. Pumped to have you on the show today. I know we touched a little bit on your background there, but I there's a lot more to it. Uh, for instance, I know you became an entrepreneur at a young age, 18, right? So let's let's go back all the way in time. Take us there. Why did you decide to become an entrepreneur? And then ultimately, what led you to real estate? Yeah, you know, I really got that from my parents and not in the sense of that they were entrepreneurs because they were on the other end of the spectrum. My dad's a, a government worker. He's worked uh, as a librarian for over 30 years and my mom's an occupational therapist. So they they both have jobs. And the reason I really shifted into entrepreneurial um, uh, field is, you know, my mom had bilateral knee replacements. And she had to take off work for three months. And so she was forced to go back to work, I would say kind of prematurely, just because she could not afford to live off of her savings for that sure. much longer. And so I would see her come home in pain, man, and, and crying in tears because of just all the pain she was going through. And she, there was nothing she could do because she was really stuck between a rock and a hard place. Right. And that really was my why and that is my why and so that almost made me upset and even thinking about it and so i wanted to aid her financially um and and be a resource for her there and then i also didn't want that for my children you know down the road and so i don't want i just wanted my children to have options and i feel like you know the key to wealth is ownership and so if you want uh wealth you gotta have uh you have to own stuff so that's the reason I got into entrepreneurial um, fields. And so I started in real estate. Once I found out that 90% of millionaires got their millions through real estate, I thought that was pretty stupid. So I had to do more research on that. And it really just started with YouTube videos. Bigger Pockets was an incredible resource for me uh, starting out. And it really started in residential and kind of snowballed into commercial family. And, and that's kind of where we are today. That's a great story, man. You know, you hear a lot about in this space, the importance of having that why. And so it sounded like you had a pretty good reason to start getting into this type of stuff, right? And then obviously diving into real estate. We both love real estate. So at this point, we know we know why it's a good, uh, good thing to be in. So let's take it from there, man. You know, you went from that 
and you started getting educated, bigger pockets, you know, it's the Mecca for basically every real estate investing uh, rookie out there. Right. I mean, it's just kind of where you start to where I started right uh, back in the day. So, and then you went and took some action. So talk us through those next steps, you know, what did it take to get you to that next property? And then after you got to that point, what was that property and what did you do with it? Mm -hmm. So what really got me started was on, you know, on bigger pockets, they talk about house hacking. And so mm. If your listeners don't know what that is, that's where you live in one unit. Let's say it's even a single family home and you live in one bedroom, you rent out the other two, three, four. And I did that with a fourplex. So I lived wow. in one unit. I had a two bed, one bath, and then three other two bed, one baths all under one roof. And I house, has, uh, house hacked that. But it really kind of started off even before that with finding a mentor. You know, for me, I knew that mentorship was really key and in, in uh, other kind of business ventures, I had mentors that were um, really uh, influential. And so I, the way I found my mentor was working at my day job. Uh, I managed a barbecue restaurant back in the day and this gentleman came through the door. Long story short, he gave his uh, two business cards to my friend who was talking with him. And he said, Hey, this guy's in real estate, you know, and I know you want to do that. So I had his card and I held on to his card for two months, I'd say, okay. knowing I needed to call the guy because he had a couple rentals. Uh, he wasn't no Grant Cardone, you know, but he was sure. one step. He was probably six to 12 months ahead of me. And I think, you know, that's so important for anyone listening to this is that once you, you, you don't need to find the person that's way ahead of the game, just six months, 12 months so that they can kind of teach you just how to take that next step. So, um, with, so I called my men, that guy up and he was a real estate agent as well. And I said, Hey man, look, I'll, you came into this barbecue restaurant. This is where I work. I need to learn real estate. I understand you have a couple rentals. I will unclog your toilets at 2 a.m. for free. I don't care. I just want to hang around you. And he kind of laughed, kind of like how you did. And, and he said, okay, go ahead and read Rich Dad, Poor Dad six times and call me back. And so I said, okay. So I did that. And so we went through that process for two, three books, honestly, where he okay. uh, had me read Cashflow Quadrant as well. And the reason he was so uh, um, influential for me was because he had the connections, right? He had connections to contractors, brokers, um, lenders. And so once I knew him, he was the real estate agent for my first transaction and all of my residential transactions actually um, thereafter. And so he connected me with the lender, the contractor, and that contractor saved me a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of blood, because I'm not a handy person. <laughs> anyway, so that was really the first step. And um, yeah, the fourplex, even owning that, that was fun. You know, the within four days, I had to give uh, these hoarders, there were seven people living in this two bed, one bath, and I had to give them a non-renewal letter. And, you know, a 20 year old kid giving um, a 70 year old man and his family a non renewal letter was for at the time, it is a heavy thing. Um, and especially back then, that was very heavy for me. And so there were a lot of challenging moments during that first fourplex. And it's um, what kind of kept me going was again that why and, and just knowing I, I couldn't give up because what else, what else could we do? 
Yeah, absolutely. That story, man. Cause you know, you started with your why and then you really, then you got educated. Right. And then you just, from there, you found a mentor, which really kind of accelerated that path. Right. And I think that's a, that's a great lesson for everybody listening right now. If you're just getting into real estate or really going on any endeavor, right. It's find somebody who has that experience. Like you said, maybe six to 12 months ahead of you and basically latching onto them. Like, Hey, is there anything I can do to help you, right? Adding value to them and then being able to learn from them to accelerate your path. So I think that's absolutely huge and something that more people, a lot of people should really take to heart. That's the way to accelerate. And, you know, it's the same thing with, you know, you hear a lot of people saying, oh, I don't want to pay for a mentor like cash, right? Well, you're either going to pay for their time or with cash, right? And so it's, you got to pick one of the two or both, right? So it's just one of those things, but the mentor can really help you accelerate uh, along your journey if you're willing to take that take that leap. So love to hear that, man, and I love to hear that you were doing a, a house hack a house hack as well because I know, especially in expensive markets, I live in, just outside of Denver, right? House hacking is very popular, right? Because um, that's a good way to get into real estate investing when you don't have a, a lot of money to put down on, say, like larger properties and stuff like that. So with that in mind, you know, you went from house hacking, uh, you know, with that four unit, and then now. You started Red Sea Capital. You're focusing on larger multifamily deals and syndications. What was the spark that got you to go down that path? Was it something you took from a meetup or maybe your coach or your mentor? Tell us about that. Yeah, that's a great question. And and that's exactly what it was. Um, it was a real estate meetup. And prior to that, I thought I would gain some residential experience for, let's say, five years and then make that pivot because I, I always thought commercial was where I would end up. Sure. So- I went to this real estate meetup and it was a multifamily apartment uh, meetup. And I I don't think I had ever been to one of those, but it was the first time there. And they had this huge uh, real estate mogul. If your listeners are familiar with Corey Peterson, uh, the big kahuna, he's, he's actually here in um, Chandler, right down the road from my house. Okay. And, but so he's got 200 million in assets under management and he was I believe a wholesaler for 20 some years. And then he did one commercial deal. And within two years, he made $2 million because they acquired it, sold it and multimillionaire in two years, just from one asset. And that was really eye-opening for me. But even more so what he said uh, that really impacted me was that you're going to be green regardless of when you start, right? (laughs) So it's two completely different animals if you want to do residential and commercial. So you could have all the experience you want in residential. And I know guys that are brokers and they're very successful and they've been doing this residential game for 20 years, but then they make this pivot and it's a whole, it's different lingo. It's just a different world. So if you want to make that step into commercial, he recommended just doing it now uh, and don't wait. So that really um, lit a fire under me. And that was really the the spark that started that. You know, I think that's a, a great piece of advice, right? You're already going in that direction. You have some experience under your belt and you kind of, you already know what you need to do. You need to partner with the right people. You need to develop your skills and all of that stuff. So why not start doing it now? Right. So I absolutely, uh, I really like that advice. And, you know, Corey Peterson, obviously, um, you know, uh, a lot of people know that guy. He's uh, pretty popular in the space. So let's dive into it a little bit more. Uh, so you start after that, you know, you've expanded from there. You started Red Sea Capital. Um, we mentioned that in the intro a little bit. Uh, you focus on BNC uh, assets. Let's expand on that a little bit. Tell us more about Red Sea Capital, uh, what you guys are currently looking, looking for in terms of properties and what's the proposed strategy behind those investments? Yeah, so we're um, focused on uh, 
uh, red states. And so we want to be landlord friendly, cash flowing markets, primarily 1970s vintage or newer, which just means the build of the asset is 1970s. Um, that was a year of construction or newer. And the reason we want to do that is just to kind of mitigate some of the larger CapEx items. Um, you know, still you'll probably run into galvanized plumbing. Uh, aluminum wiring, which uh, if your listeners aren't aware of, uh, is a large fire hazard. So you're going to get hurt on that on two ends. One, the insurance. So you're going to pay a higher premium. And then two, you will want to uh, exchange that aluminum wiring out with whatever ways you can do that. So, And then certain panels that are, again, um, are likely to cause fires or they have a higher probability of causing fires. So that's why we want to stick with newer assets. Um, and then trying to think of what else, you know, I mean, the team boots on the ground is very key. So you want to make sure you have solid boots on the ground. And if you're getting into a market that maybe is a secondary or even tertiary market in your property management company that you, um, are, have already worked with, or you have a good relationship with, they aren't there kind of finding a new management company or even bringing that other management company in can really, um, be a hurdle, you know, and it's not impossible, but it is a hurdle. And so you want to consider your investors capital as well when you make that decision. Um, so that's kind of, you know, a little bit of the market and, and of course, larger assets. So 50 units and over, and that's, when I say large, you know, some people might be used to 150 units is our minimum. Sure. So for us, uh, 50 units is kind of the the benchmark there. And uh, yeah, I, I can't really think of anything else. Are you guys using, uh, going into these deals saying, hey, this is going to be, you're looking for a value add strategy going into it. Like, hey, we're going to, you know, basically renovate the property or do something to the property and then bring the rents up. Is that kind of what your strategy looks like? That's right. That's right. Yeah. So B and C class neighborhoods, we don't want to be in any war zones. And sure. I, I learned that early on as well. And then A class, um, the, the um, not as much value add there. So we want to um, have that value add strategy. Okay. So, so one question I've been, you know, I talked to a lot of sponsors, you know, and I'm a passive investor myself and, you know, we help other people invest passively as well. So one of the questions or one of the things I look at now in terms of, you know, when I look at sponsors or even just evaluating deals is, you know, um, this value add strategy, right? It's really predicated on basically being able to increase rents at some point, right? Whether you do a renovation or not, the idea is, hey, we want to be able to bring rents up and increase the 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 value of this property or the, the price of the property, right? So, um, you know, but with rising borrowing costs, as we're seeing right now, there, it seems to be causing some challenges. With that. Do you think this strategy, the value add strategy has become or will become uh, more challenging to execute in terms of being able to get those rents up while also if you are doing some sort of renovations or something like that as well? You know, I don't, uh, that's a good question. And I haven't been asked that, uh, but I do feel like the value add strategy is uh, going to stick around. You sure. know, there's a lot of owners that are in distress. Or they don't want to, one, they don't want to put in the capital and, or two, they don't have the capital to invest to uh, drive that income up. So I think the value add strategy is there and there's going to be opportunities, especially in the next couple of years, you know, kind of what we're seeing in the market, this being early 2023, sellers are still wanting 2021, 2020 pricing. 
And so there's going to be a, a little pivot there and it's probably going to take some time, maybe a few months, maybe um, a little bit longer for that mentality to, that mentality to shift. Uh, however, I, I do still find and think that value adds here to stay. I think so. I think you're absolutely right because, you know, it's really how you position yourself as an active real estate investor, right? So obviously you want to buy at a discount if you can. Uh, and then you also want to have some sort of value add strategy going in. Being able to execute that successfully is super important to to getting that business plan down the road to say if you're going to do an exit or whatever. But then another, uh, I think a key aspect of it is make sure you have enough funds on hand. Just like you were saying before, a lot of distressed sellers are not able to do those renovations. Maybe they don't have enough capital. So on the front hand, make sure you're able to raise enough money or have enough capital on hand to take them those deals and see it through to the end, despite some challenges and volatility, right? So I think those are those are some huge points there. And I, I appreciate you going over those. Um, so let's dive into the market a little bit. You just went over a little bit of it. There's some volatility going on, obviously. Um, as a passive investor for myself, we're still seeing uh, deals get sent out, but it does seem the volume is much less than it was, say, 6, 12 you know, months ago, something like that. What are you guys seeing on the active side in terms of deal flow? Yeah. You know, it I think deal flow as an operator, right? I'm a buyer. And so deal flow has is really up to, I'm going to say up to me, right? Or up to the operator, whoever sure. is wanting to buy that asset. Because let's say after, so after December, the holiday season, that's kind of when things started ramping up. And I said, okay, new year, I'm going to start hammering the phones hard, finding these acquisitions. And there were a handful of offerings that, you know, those larger brokers sent out and everyone saw those. And so once you kind of underwrite those, then you want to, what I did was hit the phones and call those brokers that are very smaller. Maybe even some of them are residential, but they have a, a toe in the water on the commercial front. So they do have some resources there and just making a lot of phone calls. And a lot of that did um, bring some more deals across my desk. Okay. However, they were still, you know, mark uh, 2021, 2020 pricing for even a, a distressed asset. And with interest rates the way that they are, um, it just, it's almost not, I, it's almost laughable. And sure. so it's like, well, that's just not going to work. You know, it's an entry cap rate of two in Oklahoma. And so this is in California. <laughs> um, so it's, so you do have some challenges there, but still hitting the phones hard, driving that deal flow. Um, and that is gonna, I think, aid, you know, a buyer and finding more offerings. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great point. And I love that you brought that up. And you mentioned underwriting. And I think that's obviously, obviously that's super important in this business, right? But as you are seeing these deals come across your desk and you're filtering them out because maybe they're not passing underwriting, are you have you since the you know the rising interest rates have been coming across your desk? You know, you see these interest rates coming up, the the price of the cost of um debt just going up, right? Have you had to adjust your underwriting model to maybe get some of these deals to actually pencil? Are you guys doing that? Are you guys sticking firm to what your strategy was before? Uh, we are sticking firm in some aspects, right? Uh, we still want to be conservative on the underwriting and and especially in Phoenix, for example, rent growth last year maybe was 25% or in the high teens. And that's Crazy. just not sustainable. Right. And so 
we don't want to project year three of, of, of a hold at 10% or 15% because of course the offering is going to work at that point. So we do want to be uh, conservative and still, but you can almost be so conservative that deals won't work. And so it's really key to be in touch with a property management company that can give you the guidance to uh, project expenses going forward. You know, some things are already built in with the property, water, sewer, trash, electric. So you can't have too much of an influence on that, except for maybe a, a utility conservation plan. But, you know, payroll, management fees, taxes, insurance, making sure all those projections are dialed in. And uh, I do think part of that is, again, having a property manager um, in your corner, as well as uh, experienced operators that, you know, maybe they've owned an asset in a market that you haven't yet. And they mm-hmm. see, you know, maybe we can actually save a little bit here on marketing and, you know, maybe this will work. And so this will generate some more income. So having that resource as well, um, I found great value in that. Yeah, that's that's huge, right? If you could really lean on your property management team to actually like, you know, handle some of that stuff and provide you with good information. I think that's going to be huge. Right. And I think a lot of people, if they have that in their team already, it's going to be a big benefit going forward, especially in 2023, right. As we're considering this to be an opportunistic year. So uh, with that in mind, what do you guys focus on for the rest of 2023? Any objectives you're looking to achieve and say like the next six to 12 months? Wow. That's a, that's a good question. And my initial response would be to we our, Plan is to acquire 500 units uh, by November of 2023, uh, December. And additionally, you know, we um, on the podcast front, we love having quality guests. Um, And so there's always, I think it actually goes back to a really good book that is called Atomic Habits. Mm. And uh, it really talks about how people can uh, make goals all day long, right? Like Caleb wants 500 units. Okay, well, that's great. Good goal. But now what do I need to do to do that? And I'm not saying goals are bad, but in the sense of kind of pivoting and shifting that goal from uh, the end result to a habit, right? So now my goal would be I want to um, underwrite, let's say 10 offerings a week. Well, how do I do that? Well, I need to call 50 brokers a week. And so, okay, well, now that's something that I can measure because how long does it take to call brokers? Well, maybe that's two hours of my time. And so I need to uh, set aside two hours a week to do that. Okay, well, now I can measure that. And then you build um, or you uh, uh, your success is dependent upon the broker calls, not the end result. Because, sure. hey, if if all you can control is that habit, and also if you build in that habit, then the habit's there to stay, right? And once you, let's say, if you do reach that 500 goal mark or that 500 unit mark, then, okay, well, what's next? But if you build in the habit, well, every day I'm already calling 50, or every week I'm already calling 50 brokers, so let's bump it up to a hundred. And sure. so now, okay, now we're calling for four hours a week. And so I'd say building habits um, is something that I always want to focus on. And so continuing to develop uh, strong habits in 2023 is uh, at the forefront of my mind. 
Man, love to hear that. I think that's one of the biggest things anybody can do is build good habits and delete the bad habits, right? And uh, I love what you said about, you know, uh, basically focusing on the lead measures, right? Because the lag measures will happen. They'll take care of themselves if you're doing the right lead measures, right? And building that, building those habits to establish those lead measures, I think is absolutely critical. Uh, Caleb, man, this has been an awesome conversation, man. Love getting to learn more about you and your story and what you guys are up to at Red Sea. With that in mind, before we get out of here, tell listeners how they can find out more about Red Sea, your podcast, and how they can connect with you. Yeah, thanks for that, Daniel. And again, I, I'm a big fan of your show. Um, it was a privilege to be here. So if uh, your listeners would like to learn more about us, uh, go ahead and visit our website at uh, redccapitalgroup.com. And that's Red Sea like the ocean. Uh, so redccapitalgroup.com and all of the socials there. Uh, our podcast is there as well. So uh, hopefully that can be a resource for you guys. Sweet. We'll make sure to put that in the show notes. Man, again, this has been an awesome conversation. Thanks again for being on the show today. Thanks. Hey, real quick before we get out of here, do me a huge favor and leave a rating and review for the podcast. We're always looking to bring you guys the best insights and strategies for building our real estate portfolios and your ratings and reviews really help with getting top guest speakers that are the best in the real estate investing business. I promise this will only take you a few seconds and I really appreciate it. Thanks for being awesome, guys. Cheers.